One of the most common questions among founders is, do I need to raise funds for my startup? What that question generally means is, can you tell me how to raise money and where to find it? And sure, every startup could put more money to use, but does every startup need funding? Today on the Startup Therapy Podcast, we'll discuss why there are very few scenarios in which your startup absolutely needs to raise capital. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, back for another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. So we get a lot of questions about raising capital, and one of the most common questions we get, in fact, is about, should I raise capital for my business? And when people ask that, what they're really asking is, can you tell me how to raise money and when to find it? And Will, I, I know you have a very specific and fairly short answer to this, and, and, and what is that? My stock answer is just no. I mean, it messes with people, right? And people, when people ask you that question, what they're really saying is like the equivalent of saying, "Hey, should I get a haircut?" They really want you to say, "Yes, you need a haircut." You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't ask that unless you needed it, right? Yeah. But you know, they're 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 expecting pushback. They're asking because they think that we're going to go on to tell them you absolutely need to raise capital, and you know, this is the the process for doing it. Yeah, <laughs> the truth is, I mean, it's not a snarky answer. We say no because, truthfully, the answer is probably no. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, I've I've actually started to caveat this this response with, and you know, this might sound funny coming from uh, for, coming from a guy who's is one of the the founding partners of a company that owns a funding platform, but <laughs> right. no. And then I start to say, you know, I, I very rarely talk people into raising funds. Then I back up and say, no, I have actually never talked anyone into raising funds, but I've talked plenty of people out of it. And and I it gets the same look every time, which is just like, what? Really? Seriously? That's that's the answer? No? Why? Uh, and then we dig into the why. Yeah. And you know what? There's not enough uh, narrative out there about why you shouldn't raise capital. Right. There are either yeah. people that are are really burned and pissed about it and they have some agenda where they're trying to just like stick it to investors because they had a, a shitty experience or people, <laughs> you know, that, that are yeah. just so hell bent on the the independent company. And the truth is, Ryan, we're not either of those things. No. Right. I mean, at all. we're just pragmatic about it. Right. There's yes. there's a time to raise capital and, and there's a time not to. And and the truth is, regardless of what we tell you, regardless of what answer we come up with it sort of doesn't matter because most people aren't going to be able to raise capital. About That's 1% exactly. of companies are going to be able to raise capital anyway. And so for most folks, it's a time and soul-crushing endeavor that yields very little, especially in the formative years when, when you don't really have much of either. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about how we got to this realization. I mean, we've been down this path personally, but I think the the more interesting aspect and certainly the one that, that gets people to kind of lean back into the conversation is when we talk about the fact that, you know, we've built and run fundable.com and we've helped startups raise uh, over a half billion dollars at this point. And that's told us as much about when not to raise funds as, as when to. Yeah. And it adds a lot of credence to the claim that we sort of we sort of know the answer to this. We've, we've seen it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, we've worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of startup companies through this process. I mean, you really can't have more shots on goal here, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we've been doing this thing for, for seven years just with Fundable alone with thousands of companies, but we've also done it on our own as far as raising money. So we know what it's like firsthand. And 
for us to be able to stand up and say, hey, you're probably not going to raise capital, just that the, the odds are stacked against you, and you probably don't need to, runs fully in the face of what people think our agenda here is, right? This is yeah. re- reverse psychology. Yeah. Uh, most people think, well, you run a funding platform, you've raised over a half billion dollars for people, you must want everyone to raise. And it's like, no, <laughs> even yeah, if we no. did, it's not possible. Yeah, we'd love that. The, the, the reality is that while the methodologies have changed and the access to deal flow has changed, that the number of check writers and the number of checks being written hasn't really changed that much. Right? The odds are still what the odds were. I, I think that, you know, sort of best case scenario, the, the process has been democratized a bit and maybe more of the right people are getting the checks. Right. More right. of the right people, not more people. Right. So it's still the same number of folks getting checks. We've just changed the distribution of that money. Yeah, that's true. And, and look, there's more ways to raise capital now, right? You could yep. raise money on something like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo where it's it's not traditional investor capital and really not a ton of downside to doing that in the grand scheme of things. There's going for uh, debt capital, right? And so you're talking about going to a bank, et cetera, which has a whole bunch of triggers and caveats that I think folks need to be aware of. And, and sometimes they are. We all understand paying it back, but there's that's usually the least of your concerns <laughs> when you get into that yep. problem. But what we're really talking about here, more often than not, is our folks that are that are going out there and they're trying to talk to investors, which, Ryan, I think it's worth us just stopping for a minute and saying, it's an incredibly time-intensive process, especially if you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right? it, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just, let's walk through just a couple of the high points of time you're going to invest. And just to be clear, and I'll kind of TLDR this a bit. Raising capital is a six to nine month process. If anyone thinks that it's a a one to two week process or a six to eight week process, not the case whatsoever. And so I just want to be very clear about that. Even the best of us take months upon months upon months to invest in this process to ever get a check. So we're talking about a lot of valuable time. And not only is this a cost just in terms of the length of time, I think we also need to talk about what changes focus-wise during that time. Because quite frequently, it means your focus is shifting from building that business to moving forward to gaining traction to raising funding and all that goes with that. The writing of the business plan, putting together the pitch deck, trying to get investor meetings, going to investor meetings. There's so many things that happen that the business almost pauses at that point while you're in this fundraising process, depending on where, you know, maybe if you're a series D, that's not the case. But if you're going after seed funding, the chances that you're doing a great job of running and building that business and raising funds at the same time, probably zero, right? And so there's a huge opportunity cost in terms of the progress of the business while you're pausing to raise funding. Right. And the assumption, Ryan, is that I'm going to make this investment. I understand it's a lot of time. It's a shift in focus, but we really need the money right there. That's an assumption that when we yeah. invest all this time, we're also going to get the money. Yep. Statistically, you're, you're not going to get the money. You're not. Right? right. There's maybe a 10% chance, if you're lucky, that you will get the money. So there's a 90% chance that you won't, right? Right. So and, uh, greater than. Uh, so the the other challenge I have with that statement is that you know we need the money. And I think that that's it's just so often the case that you don't, right? You don't necessarily need the funds. I think that's some somewhere that people jump to this foregone conclusion that they have to raise funding. And it's just nine times out of 10 isn't true, right? When you dig into why they're looking to raise, 
there's a lot of flaw in that step in, in, in the logic in that step. And I just very rarely see people give that question of to raise or not enough credence. Right? There's not enough diligence done at that particular step. Yeah, we start off with, I need money. Dude, every single startup <laughs> needs money, yeah, right? That's like, not the reason to raise funding. The fact that you have stuff that you need to pay for that you don't have money for doesn't need to mean you need to raise capital. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's literally the defining quality of every business, whether they're funded or not, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's a given that you have to buy things that you don't have money for, right? Yep. And we'll talk about this probably later, but there are lots of ways to get those things and millions and millions of startups every year figure out how to do it without raising money. Whether they want to or not, they have to in order to grow. So it can be done. But I think really what we're talking about here is let's not use the premise of I need capital to simply be I have to raise capital because the sure. two aren't necessarily compatible. No, they're not. And, and, and quite frequently, the things that you're trying to spend on aren't things that people would want to invest in in the first place. And so yeah. we talked about we talked about timing in two different two different ways already. Let's talk about timing in a third way, which is one of the actual triggers for when you should raise funds. Right. right. And that's if there's a timing issue in the market. And so, you know, you've said this uh, in, in the article, but rarely does this happen. But sometimes two startup companies will come into a market at the same time. And this can precipitate a need to raise funding in order to run that race. Why don't we dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. And so there's a couple things to consider within that, right? The first is, hey, we have competition. That does not mean it's a timing issue, right? Correct. A timing issue is when something so frigging game-changing is happening in the market. And I want to take a minute to dig into what we think game-changing is, right? Whereby whoever figures this one out is going to be the next Jeff Bezos, right? Yes. And so... Your, you know, mobile dog walking app probably isn't going to make you Jeff Bezos, right? But if you redefine how all of transportation works like Uber did, yeah, you're probably going to yeah. be the next Jeff Bezos, right? Which means if you have competition going into stump, something with that big of stakes, that big of an outcome, yeah, you're going to have to raise capital because the folks that are going to drop into that market are all going to be super heavily capitalized. And if you aren't one of them, you're not even at the table. I often talk about this in, in terms of being able to understand this. I think that when you're in the foot race and you are looking at your competition, I think it can be really hard to determine whether or not this thing that you're trying to accomplish fundamentally changes that, right? Is it is it that big of a deal, right? Is it that big of a fundamental change? And for me, the easiest way to break this down is to look at, are you building at the infrastructure level, right? So to your point, are you going to change how all of transportation happens? Are you going to make a fundamental change in that? That's infrastructure level stuff, right? If, right. if you've got a piece like, and, and maybe this is, a, is a bit of a twist here, but if you look at automated cars, right? So we look at automated driving, that could also be a fundamental change in transportation, but I would argue that the timing there is less critical. That's less of a race to be first to market because they've already been first to market. A couple of people have already gotten there and they've had to back off because, oh, we started running people over, right? So timing, <laughs> timing, <laughs> right, can be, right. timing was very critical there. Right. So point being, is it the true, are you really at the infrastructure level or are you augmenting the infrastructure, right? So I don't think automated cars are going to fundamentally change how we engage with that. It will make 
an improvement to the top end of the infrastructure, but I don't think it's infrastructure level stuff. And I think for me, that's the easiest way to figure out is timing really going to be that critical to what I'm doing, right? You know, is this the internet versus mail, right? Is this DVDs versus streaming with Netflix? Right. That was a big moment in time. That was really, really important because it changed the infrastructure for how we consumed video, right? Right. And in some something that's going to fully change the infrastructure isn't the only reason you'd raise capital. We're just using that as a, a good example of, look, if you happen to find yourself in something that significant in your career and you were on the, the cusp of it, okay, there's other competitors that are going to get into this space and everyone is going to go hard, right? Yep. The challenge, and I think you touched on this, the challenge is we all think our idea is going to be so damn huge and world-changing right? Yep. It's, it's damn near impossible to talk to a founder and have them say, yeah, I'm actually not working on something that important. Yeah, I quit my job and I start <laughs> burning through all my, my kids' uh, college fund. But yeah, it's not that important. I mean, right. no one's going to say that. We're all going to feel like our idea, no matter what it is, has a huge timing issue and then everyone's going to want to get into it. And it's the biggest thing in the world. That's why we started it, yeah. right? But there has to be some way to calibrate. Now, often what people do is they try to talk to a couple of advisors, you know, folks that are maybe a little more sober than they are, and say, you know, just be honest with me, like, am I in something big enough that the whole world is going to want to pour cash in this as fast as possible? Yep. And chances are, they're going to say no, you know, if they like you, they're going to say no, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> because they're going to want to be mindful of, of what that is. Now, again, that doesn't mean that whatever industry you're in, be it a smaller opportunity, won't invite capital from other players. By all means, uh, that will happen. And, and we should probably talk about, you know, how competition's raising and how that often is a trigger. But in this case, what we're saying is you don't necessarily need to raise capital this second because you're afraid the entire market is going to escape if you don't have capital this second. In many cases, yes, maybe you raise capital over time, but try to be mindful and a bit sober that most businesses have all the time in the world. There are yeah. very few Lyft, Uber, Bird, Lime, kind of in one second, everybody was raising hundreds of millions of dollars. That happens so rarely. So you have to be mindful of that. Timing is, timing is very rarely the critical factor, right? It can, it can play into it. It can be important. There are a few rare times where it is the most important thing. But I think that if you were to meet uh, Facebook and MySpace at a cocktail party right now, MySpace wouldn't be talking about how cool it was to have been first to market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in most cases, if it's going to be an important industry, it's going to take a long time to mature. The players will take some time to get into it. And you've got maybe a minute in order to figure out whether capital is really the right thing. Just because you heard someone else is raising doesn't all of a sudden make this a foot race for capital, which would probably bring us to our next point, right? Which is... yep you know, oh shit, my competitor just raised $2 million. You know, we're screwed. I absolutely have to raise money. Do you? Really? Do you? And I don't think a lot of people can calibrate for that, right? I think a lot of people, you know, they read the press release. We've done that, right? You know, we've been in this, yep. in this business long enough to know that we see someone taking off or raising money and, you know, our hearts sink and we're like, oh no, we're screwed. This person raised money or this company raised money. And, you know, we're behind the eight ball now and their millions of dollars are going to change everything and we're going to be totally left in, in, the, in the dust. Rarely comes all it to changed pass. was their burn rate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the um, outcomes didn't change that much. You know, when we were launching Fundable, we had maybe 30 competitors, 
I mean, do you remember that? Yeah. Like circa yes. 2012? Yeah. There was and, a point where like the, the list changed daily. Oh, it was bananas. And in that time, during that time, companies were getting funded like every week. It was yeah. crazy. And in all fairness, everyone, including us to some degree, thought it was a timing thing. We thought that yeah. crowdfunding was going to fundamentally change the entire investing, small business space. I mean, it was going to be such a massive, massive fundamental change, yep. you know, until it wasn't. Well, yeah, circle back to a few minutes ago or even to the, the very top uh, of this conversation where we said, you know, it didn't fundamentally change how many checks were getting written. It may have changed the distribution. So then go back a couple minutes to, to the previous conversation around infrastructure it changed a piece of the infrastructure. It changed some of the, the marketing methodologies and mechanisms, but it didn't change the base infrastructure, which is the total amount of cash available, right? Right. That's what didn't change. And none of us saw that. Like, it didn't at the time. Like, we, we were certain that was going to change. All of a sudden, doctors, lawyers, and everybody's well-heeled granny was going to start writing checks. It sounds silly now, but at the time, we believed that to be true. Like, now people, everybody will be able to invest in startups. So, therefore, they will, Right. Look no further than the gym to understand that just because gyms are available doesn't mean we're going to, you know, we're not going to run out of out of shape people. No, it doesn't change. The, the ability to do something doesn't mean that you will. And with funding, we saw that to be completely true. The ability was there, um, but it didn't create more demand for, for check writing. But it didn't stop people from collecting checks to raise capital. I remember <laughs> sure didn't. There were different folks in the space, you know, doing different things. But I remember Indiegogo raised fifty million dollars at the time. I mean, big, big amounts of money. Circle Up raised yep. what thirty, forty, fifty million dollars at the time. Yes. I mean, people were raising big amounts of money on a big story. Now, I think the only benefit we had during that era, this is circa 2012, 2013, was that we had kind of been to this rodeo a few times before where just because everyone else was raising, we assumed that you have to raise, et cetera. Yep. And we did one thing that I thought was really interesting at the time. We stepped back for a minute. We looked at our business. We looked at what our customers were saying, particularly the investors. And we said, we're not seeing a single buying signal that's telling us that more investors are showing up or somehow yep. they magically have more investments to make. Right? Yeah. If a guy was writing two checks a year... We didn't see any indication where uh, you, the, the new Jobs Act or anything else gave him the opportunity to write four checks a year. That's correct. From a total funding standpoint, nothing changed. Yeah, yeah. We looked at our competition raising and said, man, I don't know what they're going to do with all that money. I mean, right. We were, I, I, I literally remember sitting down and thinking like we were sort of played it out. We're like, okay, they just raised $15 million. Right. What are they going to spend that on? We were looking around going like, I, 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 I can't imagine what they're going to spend that on. I like just more acquisition on, on which side, like who, what are they, what are they going to bring to the table with this cash that they couldn't do without it? And what impact is it going to have? And, and the answer right. was not much. Right. No, I totally agree. Now I want to point out a school of thought because, because I remember talking to some of my VC buddies at the time and because they're VCs, they have a pretty popular and, and consistent refrain. And it goes something like this. Look, if you're going to pursue an opportunity, you may as well raise as much money as possible to go full guns after it. Because really, if you look at it a different way, what's the point of going after something, spending five to 10 years of your life, if you're going to be undercapitalized and never be able to realize the opportunity to begin with? And I get that, that thought process. 
but it totally overlooks the fact that most people who are going to raise are going to have nothing to show for it at all right now. Now, again, sticking with the VC, he would say, ah, but, but wouldn't you rather be the person who raised money and came to that conclusion than the person who didn't have any money? To which I would say, it depends on what business you're trying to build. Me, you, we kind of like to build profitable businesses, right? Sustaining profitable businesses that have a, a, a growth future in, uh, ahead of us. It's a bad habit, but yeah, I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, silly us, right? And I think that's what most people endeavor to build. What the VCs are saying is, if you're down for an all or nothing business, where you put all the cash in, you have a huge outcome, or even a modest outcome, or nothing, then this is the only way you can play the game. Which is true if you only want to play high stakes poker. Yep. Uh, like That's cool. And if you're the VC who's going to make 20 different investments and wait for one to hit, cool. You can play that game. But as founders, this is our life. Yeah. Right, we're not making twenty bets. We're making one bet. One and dude, if yeah. this thing doesn't work, you know that's our savings gone. That's our career gone. That's everything gone. So to say, hey, you should only play in high stakes poker where you win it all or lose it all. Fuck that, right? Yeah. I mean, like I'm just, I, I'm not convinced that that's the way entrepreneurs should be thinking about how to approach capital. And when we look at things like, hey, our competition is raising, uh, so we have to play this high stakes poker too. I'm calling BS on that. No, and, and we should. We should because I think that, I, I don't think that gets called out often enough. And I think that as people enter into this, they, they assume that it's sort of a, a binary thing. Raise funding right. and succeed. Don't raise funding and, and disappear into obscurity. And that's just not the case. I mean, we've, we've sort of provide antithetical proof to that just by existing, right? We're here and we've grown. Right. And we're building amazing stuff. And we haven't had to take on major capital. And we probably right. won't. Right. As a company, when we try to talk to, to entrepreneurs through the funding process, you know, with Fundable or anything else we try to kind of coach them on, we explain to them that funding is one of many paths, right? And you can take on small funding. You can take on yep. big funding. Those, those have kind of different triggers and in, in, in different uh, uh, responsibilities. Or you can take on no funding, build business more slowly, which is typically the case, and just work to try to get into a profitable model that suits you perfectly, yep. not an investor. Exactly. And, and look, no matter how you cut it, that's how most people build businesses, right? right? Drive down your main street and look at every business that's in business. Chances are almost none of them are venture funded. And what do you know? All of those people built businesses. Yep. They all exist. Okay, so and you've already pointed this out, but you know, drive them down Main Street, look around. There are thousands and thousands of companies launching every year without raising capital. So we know that it's possible, right? Businesses can exist without major capital. But we've also said there are a lot of things that your business needs to pay for that you don't have money for. Therefore, we need capital. Well, what we need is a way to pay for that. So let's talk about how do we do this? How do we get creative? How do we create that capital as a business that isn't, at least right now, going to raise? Well, we've got a, a few options. And this actually covers how like 99% of businesses start. So when I'm mentioning this, this isn't some weird outlier voodoo. This is actually how people <laughs> build businesses, right? Yep. So Ryan, uh, let's just use you and I as an example, we're going to go start a new business. And we're thinking about whether or not we should raise capital. And we're thinking about if we don't, what are our other options? Well, typically, uh, to start, we have our time to some probably finite level. In other words, when we personally run out of cash, et cetera. Yep. So we think in terms of if we had capital, we might be able to buy things to accelerate 
some of the things we would do with our time. But if we don't raise money, we'll just use our time in lieu of that. Right. Yes. I mean, if, if we're if we're building a product, we'll just work on packing and shipping it ourselves versus hiring somebody else to do it. Right. I mean, that's usually what we're talking about is we're going to pay resources that we could otherwise use ourselves. Yeah. Now, in some cases, we need resources that we can't do ourselves. Like, like we need to hire a developer or we need to buy inventory or things like that. Typically, in those cases, what we'll do is we'll try to use other forms of capital like stock options in the company. Or we'll use a credit card or a line of credit, you know, something that we can pay back, you know, once we've fulfilled inventory. Sure. But it's it's rarely let's just have somebody give us a blanket check and just cover all of those things. Right. right. <laughs> We're just going to be resourceful in how we go about acquiring those things. And I have to point one thing out. Very often, by requiring us to take more time, it ends up letting us make better decisions. I mean, Ryan, how many times could not agree forced to take more time yep. and, <laughs> and look back and go, holy shit, did we make a better decision? Yeah, I think we didn't we didn't talk about this today. And it's it's probably a discussion for another day. But when you take on capital in the, in the event that you do raise, it changes your decision making significantly because now it opens up more options, not necessarily better options, just more options. You have more ways you have more money to spend. So therefore, you can spend it in more ways. And I think that by having to be creative in the absence of taking on cash, it forces you to really consider your next move, right? Imagine, imagine a match of chess whereby the, you're, you get to all of a sudden move four pieces in one turn, right? It changes a lot. Like when you only have one piece to move, when you have to make a decision, like we've got this much money, we can only yep. do one of these three things. It forces you to really think through, challenge your assumptions and make sure that you're picking with the data you have available to you the best option for that moment. And I, and I think that something else you touched on here is really, really important. The word acceleration. And you know, you, the, if we had more money, we could accelerate this. And quite frequently, let, let's be honest, we don't really know where the hell we're going a lot of the time. So Absolutely. acceleration just means we're going to drive off the side of something. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, a lot of times you're talking to people and they're like, well, if we had more money, we could do this so much faster. I was like, okay, explain to me what the benefit of doing that, that much faster is. Well, then we'll be done with it. Okay, cool. Then what? Right? <laughs> like, it doesn't necessarily matter when you get it done. If you could do it in another way, you can do it without that capital. Because they're also, you pointed out, it takes a long time to raise funds and they're completely throwing that out of the equation at that point. Like, if we had the money, then we could do this that much faster. Yeah, don't forget the six months you spent raising the funds while this stopped moving forward. But yeah, if, I digress. If you, if you got the money. Yep, exactly. Right. So, Ryan, well, what I'm, I'm sure we found, because we've spent a lot of time exploring this ourselves, is that not having a big check of capital sitting in the bank has forced us to really think through every single decision we make. And here's yes. what we found. And Ryan, I think you can appreciate this because you and I have had this conversation with the management team and, and me as the CFO, I always have to be checkbook guy. Nine times out of 10, the decision we would have made with cash was the wrong decision. Yeah, I, I think we can easily say that if we had been able to just quickly and easily make the decision, if there had been a ready yes there, we would have often said yes to things because Saying yes feels good, right? You, you don't ever want to say no to somebody that comes to you and says, hey, I have this idea. Here's what I want to do. I want to put the capital into this. This is going to be the anticipated return. Of course, all that's conjecture, right? It's all bets. And so I think that, yeah, forcing ourselves to, to really take the time. There are definitely some decisions that we hemmed and hawed over. In the end, we decided 
you know, we didn't want to spend that level of resource to do something. And that beautiful 2020 hindsight has, has proven us right in a lot of cases. And there also were certainly times where we, you know, forewent acceleration where we could have gotten maybe to the same point faster. But at the time, we could not have known that. We right. could not have known at the time of making the decision, had we doubled the Facebook spend, had we tripled the number of dev resources, that we would have gotten to the same place, but much faster, and that that would have been better. Now, in hindsight, we can see those things. But I think that, you know, in the way that we've played this and having been creative, having been resourceful, having been patient, um, the hindsight continues to land on our side. And, and I think we're getting smarter from it. Now, when we look at that and we talk to an entrepreneur that's trying to build their business right now, they'll look at those things and say, yeah, that sounds great, Grandpa. You know, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really nice. But yep. uh, I need to get my mobile app out the door. So all of your, you know, use the force, take creativity and patience and, and build something. I just kind yep. of don't give a shit. But I have to say, being forced to be disciplined about your business, to be patient whether you want to be or not, uh, and be able to and be forced to be creative about your business are literally the most important building blocks of the business. Yes. And learning to, to work through all of those and learning the benefits of those is how great companies are built. I'm 100% certain of that. No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it the, the, the benefit of that, it, it's sort of like the difference between going to the gym and taking a pill that will give you muscles, right? A, one of them's probably not going to work. And B, like, there's so much good comes from the hard work, from the focus, from being down at the level where, you know, being resourceful means keeping your hands in it. In a lot of cases, if I go back in time and think about decisions that we we made kind of against an opportunity where it was like, well, we could outsource this and it would only cost us this much and here's the anticipated benefit. And at the time, it felt like it would have been good to do that. And then we didn't. It forced us to get in and do those reps and really learn something new and something new about our business, right? And, and not only were those fundamental building blocks, it let us shape those building blocks in a way that they became that much more useful to us over the long term. I think that in a lot of cases, when you take the, I'm going to air quote this, easier approach, you accelerate something by outsourcing, by paying someone else to do it, you may see a short-term lift and benefit, but I would argue that because you're not going to take away the deep learnings, because someone else is doing it for you, you will find yourself at some point at a plateau when that person's capacity or skills peak that they can't move beyond and that you can't help them move beyond because you don't understand it well enough. And I think that we've taken enough of those things away uh, that I will continue to be very, very comfortable saying no to funding, saying no to acceleration and saying yes to being creative and just kind of getting it done. That all With said, that, yeah. <laughs> I know we're, we're both thinking the same thing because you and I deliver this to a lot of people. And what we're both thinking is we've now said all of this to a founder across the table from us. We've talked about all the ways to avoid raising funding and why you may not need to raise funding. And they immediately come back and like, okay, yeah, cool. Thanks for all that. Hey, uh, so will you take a look at my pitch deck? <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, right? I mean... We can give all of this advice. We can explain all of these reasons why you don't have to have capital. But all you're sitting here thinking is, yeah, cool, whatever. I don't have any. I need some. Uh, so yep. how do I get some? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't think either of us think for a second that any of these forewarnings or uh, explanations are going to wholesale make people they just clap their hands and say, okay, I guess I'm done with the capital discussion. But in all fairness, 
with all of the advice that we give, that's never what we're trying to do. We're not trying to force a binary decision on any of the founders. All we're trying to say in everything that we talk about is here's a point of view that's worth synthesizing. Yeah. Right? It's, it's here's something that you ought to consider before you're so gung-ho or so certain that the path you're going down is absolutely correct. Because yeah. you know what? It's probably not. And, and you've got more choices than you think. I, I think that, you know, when you said we're not trying to force a binary option, I, in, I think we're doing exactly the opposite. We're trying to point out the fact this isn't binary. Very, very few things in building your company are going to be binary. This is not one of them, right? There are lots of other options. There are other ways to generate the money you need, to generate the resources you need to be able to move forward. And so I, I think that is a really critical point, Will. It isn't binary. We're not trying to force binary. We're trying to open up people's eyes, people's expectations to the fact that I can do this lots of other ways. But I think that the the vast balance of this conversation um, out in the ethernet, on the internet, wherever you're hearing this, is the opposite, right? And it's sort of that binary thing between, you know, raise funds, move forward, don't raise funds, develop cute lifestyle business, right? And that's bullshit. Right, right. What I would say is, look, there's a handful of ways to move forward, and they all always look the same. Number one, look for an alternate revenue source to keep the lights on uh, while you build the business. And we've, yep. we've, we've had discussions and shows just about that. Number two is, heaven forbid, try to get some revenue for customers, uh, keep expenses low, and, and build the business that way. Or number three is try to raise some outside capital to augment uh, revenue that you don't have. And you know what? And it's likely a combination of all three. So it's typically not one path. It's, it's synthesizing all of them and trying to figure out how to keep the business moving forward. So I, again, the caveat to everything that we've said is this isn't an anti-capital pitch. It's an anti, I need capital and there's no other, no other path forward pitch or something's happening that makes it so binary and so certain that I absolutely have to have this capital. It's rarely the case. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at Startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. <laughs>